Good morning, church. Across all campuses. Let's hear it for everyone who worked so hard to put this morning together. I am grateful to be a part of it. Thank you, team. Well, you say amen if you believe this. Our children watch everything we do. They hear everything we say. They forget nothing, and then they repeat. Yes, and that can be a scary thing. Yesterday, uh, my daughter talked me into putting uh, Apple Music on my phone. It's streaming, and I got a 90-day free subscription. And she said, Dad, you're going to love it. And it asked me my first two types of music I love to listen to, so I put Christian and country because those two go together. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Christian music and country music. And then it starts picking stuff for you. It starts being your brain. And I, I love it. I pulled out of the driveway in Branson today, 4 a.m., and I turned it on, and the first thing that popped up uh, was a playlist of Keith Whitley. Totally forgot, totally forgot this music, but I was driving to Tulsa today in a 2009 Hyundai Sonata, but I was back in my dad's Plymouth Valari two doors. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a red Plymouth Valari white vinyl top. Did anyone own one? Let me see. Yes. I was laying in the back window listening to, I'm no stranger to the rain. I was there. I was there. I said, Lord, this is of you. Why? Do I love country music so much? You know why? Because I had a mom and dad who loved country music. I have a daughter now that loves country music. Thank you, Father. <laughs> but she told me this week, we had, a, we had a rental car that had all the different preset stations on it from Sirius Radio, and, and it had the classic country station, prime country station in the 80s and 90s, and I was listening to them again back in the Plymouth Valari, and I'm going, this is it, this is where I want to be, and Corinne's like, can we find better country music, Dad? I said, Corinne, what do you think classic country music is? And she says, like stuff before 2010. (laughs) And then I made her listen to one of the all-time classic songs, I'm digging up bones. I said, honey, I loved that song long before Jurassic Park ever came out. (laughs) I mean, these were good times. My son does not love country music. I have failed him as a father. But I'm trying, and every now and then we'll be walking through the house, and he'll start singing something. And it's country. And whenever I catch him, I've learned not to say anything because my heart is just overflowing with joy that my son is singing a country song. But he shuts down quickly, but I'm like, son, there's really no escaping it. There really isn't. Because you're listening to it, you're hearing it. You know, I love it. At some point, it's going to seep in. This is how it works. This is how we pass on from one generation to the next. I love parents telling me all their stories about uh, what their kids have picked up from them, what their kids have seen and heard and now repeat. One mom said, I didn't realize how strong my shopping addiction was until I was driving down the road one day explaining to my kids that I was just kind of having a, uh, a discontent day. Right? I wasn't mad, I wasn't angry, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad, I wasn't happy, I was just kind of blah. Does any parent understand what I'm trying to describe? Right? Just kind of blah. And she said, my, my five-year-old looked over at me and said, Mom, do you want to go to Walmart? <laughs> See, that's a child who has watched you medicate your pain 
with Walmart. Another mom told me I didn't realize how often I was taking my diabetes, taking advantage of my diabetes, and one day my four-year-old walked out of her bedroom, mouth covered in chocolate, holding an empty wrapper, and as any good mom would do, I looked at her and said, what are you doing? And she said, sorry, mom, my blood sugar was low. I just want you to know, your kids are watching you all day long. They're seeing it. I usually end my prayers at Woodland Hills with, and everyone agreed and said, we say amen and we launch into the next part of the service. Well, one little girl from our church named Lauren picked up on that and she loved that. And her mom told me, she said, Ted, now when we ask Lauren to pray, this is how she ends her prayers. And everyone agreed with Ted and said, I looked over at Amy and said, you could start praying that right there. No, I didn't. I didn't say that. That's my wife. Anyway, I think today as we launch into this topic, love is, we're going to pick up and start where Pastor Alex started last week in John chapter 13. Then we're going to jump to a couple other texts. But I really, I want us to get this idea of love because I think we're, we're under a new rule today. We, we have a new idea and a new word that I think is misunderstood and way overused, and it's this word called tolerance. I really don't think we know what we are saying when we cry out for tolerance. I, 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 I'm, I'm confused even because the more in our culture we cry out for tolerance, it seems the angrier everyone's getting. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is like, this is the problem with the cable news network. But I gotta be honest with you, I wasn't raised by tolerant parents. I was raised by loving parents. My parents didn't tolerate bad behavior in our home, they corrected it. My parents didn't tolerate bad grades, they made me study. My parents didn't tolerate rude behavior, they corrected it. They didn't tolerate slothfulness, they corrected it. Because I believe that's what loving parents do. They accept you for who you are, but they love you too much to see you stay that way. I had parents that corrected me all the time. How many of you remember when your dad couldn't figure out which of your siblings was at fault, so he just spanked all of you? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if, if your mom used to spank you with whatever she had handy. How many of you remember when your parents gave permission to spank you with whoever they dropped you off with? Anybody remember that? Yeah, mom, we don't even know this person. That's okay, he gets out of line, you smack him around a little bit. How many of you remember getting in trouble at school and getting spanked at school and then spanked a second time when you got home? I remember as a little kid telling my parents, no, this is the double jeopardy clause in the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution. I can't get spanked twice for the same crime. Can I get an amen? Only once. But my parents didn't tolerate it, but they loved me. I really think what our culture needs is love. I really think if you're a cable news watcher and you watch it all day long, I, I can tell by meeting you who it is in the room that watches Fox News all day long. I love you, but when I ask you a question and you respond with, <laughs> okay, that's too much. You got too much of it in you. We got to help you get that out because I, I think we get all these words confused and so we're coming back to the new rules of love. We're coming back to understanding what it is, but understanding this, mom and dad, you are passing on to your children what you believe and what you think and what you feel because they're watching. 
They're listening, they're remembering, and then they're repeating. But as we talk about this today, I also want you to think about what you saw, what you listened to, what you remember, and now what maybe you are repeating. I get, we all get there where we get tired. I, we have good friends in Branson, Chad and Marcia Phillips. Uh, they have a three-year-old daughter named Olivia. She is the cutest little girl you've ever seen. And Marcia said the other day she came walking out of her bedroom eating a sandwich. And I thought to myself, I didn't make her a sandwich. And so I, I brought her over and said, Olivia, what are you eating? Sandwich! Don't you love the one-word answers, the three-year-old? I love three-year-old one-word answers. Where'd you get that sandwich? My shoe! Now, she realized, like, this sandwich, this is an old, old sandwich. She said, and I, I don't know what's worse, Ted, the fact that my daughter was eating a sandwich that could have been in there for weeks from a shoe or the fact that I didn't care. <laughs> How many parents have been there? Just let's be real honest with you. It's 3 o'clock. I parented until 3. I'm good. You're on your own. I just want every parent and grandparent in the room to never forget, you're parenting 24-7. You, you, please hear this, you are the primary author of your child's heart. You're the primary author. You're writing chapter after chapter, page after page upon the hearts of your children, just as your parents did for you. So let's jump into this. This is where Pastor Alex started last week as we kind of talk about our children learning how to love by watching and listening to us. The big idea that we're going to start with is just the idea of love one another. We're going to talk about loving one another, loving your neighbor, and loving your enemy. Why is it important that in this church today we have profound love for one another, great love for one another? Well, Jesus said it, several, several points he makes here. He commanded it. A new command I give you, love one another. You are to love each other. He also modeled it. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then this is the one that we want to grasp today. Jesus de declared the love we have for each other as our identity. He said the, the world, not just your children, but the world is watching us. The world is watching us, and if we're not careful, we'll tend to think that, that the world is drawn to us at the church by our doctrine, by how we help the poor, by how we do world missions, but Jesus says the world will be drawn, the world will see that you are my disciples, disciples of Jesus. Your ident identity will be, will be rooted in the fact that you love one another deeply. When you read through, but by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Throughout the scripture, we read this. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive one another. This is one way that we show love for each other, that we don't harbor bitterness, resentment, unresolved anger in the heart, that we love one another by forgiving each other. And so let me just ask you the question, mom and dad, how are your children doing right now and what they're seeing, the forgiveness between the two of you? How's your child doing seeing the forgiveness that you're offering an ex-husband or an ex-wife? I've had conflict with an individual lately and uh, very frustrated with me and I've been trying to work through it with him and it just, it hasn't been going all that well. And I brought up the idea, I said, well, why don't we sit down with a, a friend and why don't we work through this together? 
so that you can share your side and I can share my side for the purpose of being reconciled, for the purpose of forgiving one another, for the purpose of having greater understanding. The idea, though, when I brought up my side, this was like language he, he didn't understand. What do you mean, your side? Well, in counseling, we have this thing called the mirror principle. And often, what you are feeling about another person is the exact same thing they are feeling about you. The frustration you have towards another individual is what they're feeling towards you. The anger you have towards someone is what they feel about you. And so what we encourage you to do before in the new year, get, you get a new job, a new spouse, or a new church, thinking that if I just change my situation, my life will be better. Let me tell you, a change in life is no guarantee of a changed life. Start by taking personal responsibility for your heart. Take personal responsibility for what's going on in you. That means you own your emotions. That means you own your words and you own your actions. They're yours to take responsibility for, not another person. How do you forgive someone? How do you seek forgiveness from a, a brother or sister in Christ? Well, great apologies start with personal responsibility. Let me give you an example, two examples of a bad apology. I'm sorry you feel that way. Terrible apology. Or, or if I offended you, then I'm sorry. What are we really saying right there? You shouldn't be offended. You should get over this quickly. But we're called, as part of loving one another, to forgive each other. We're called to serve one another. We're to meet needs of those that we say we love. Galatians 5.13, I love this idea of serving one another because Galatians talks, Paul speaks clearly in this text of there are some loads that you must carry on your own. That's personal responsibility. No one else is gonna carry it for you, okay? But there are some burdens that are too great for one person to carry and that's what loving one another means is that I come alongside you and I carry that burden with you. But maybe you've, ever, you've been in a relationship where you can tell someone is struggling to carry a burden and you offer to come up and serve them and to help them carry that burden and what do they do? They drop it off on you. They're like, thank you for your help. I'll not, no, no, every one of us must carry our own load. We're responsible 100% for the load that's on. We don't get to give that to someone else. But at times in life, we, we have a burden that we need help with, that's serving. That's what Paul speaks of in Galatians. I love Romans 14, 13 says, stop passing judgment on one another. Another way we love each other is we stop with the negative beliefs. I love this because negative beliefs hits our marriages all the time. Okay, negative beliefs is when you assign motives to another person's actions. And one night, or one morning, my wife and I were getting ready and we're having a great conversation. She's in the shower and I'm getting ready outside and and we're having a great conversation that I thought came to an end. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I thought it was over and we were, we were done. So I left the bathroom. I went down. I made coffee. I poured the coffee. As I'm walking back down the hallway, I realized <gasps> that conversation technically isn't over. She's still talking. Man, freaked me out. I ran back in there and I set the coffee down and I realized while I was gone, the conversation kept going. And my wife from the shower asked me a question over the shower curtain and because I wasn't there, she answered the question for me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The husbands know exactly what I'm talking about. Isn't it great when your wife can have an argument with you and you're not even present? You know why she's able to do that? It's called a negative belief. 
So she answered her question for me on my behalf. She did not like my answer. <laughs> That's a negative belief. Loving each other means we stop passing judgment on one another. It means we look for the best. We never give up on a relationship. We hold out hope for relationships. We seek reconciliation. We don't look for the worst in people. We don't assume the worst. We don't see our spouse come home late, 10, 15 minutes late, and tell them why they're home late. No, we wait, we ask, we listen, we find out the real reason rather than jumping to conclusions. Bear one another's burdens. That, again, is this idea of load and burden. You all, everyone in here has their own load to carry. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says we're to comfort one another. We're to comfort one another. This is written in the context of mourning the death of a loved one. When someone loses someone close to them, we're supposed to remind them of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're to remind them of the second coming of Christ. Paul says... Comfort each other, encourage one another, build each other up with these words. Romans says, when, as followers of Jesus, as we love each other, we're supposed to rejoice when others are rejoicing, and we're supposed to mourn when others are mourning. Encourage one another and build one another up. 1 Peter 4, 9, another way to love is to be hospitable to one another. Hospitality, that comes from the same word as hospital, that means healing. A true love for another person is healing. When people leave your presence, do they feel restored? Do they feel healed? Do they feel stronger? Do they feel better? Or are they more discouraged and more angry and more frustrated? We show hospitality to one another by being healing people. James 5.16 says part of loving one another is confessing your sins to one another. I heard the story a couple weeks ago of four pastors that got together. They realized they're always hearing the sins of other people, but they don't really have anybody to talk to, so they all met, the four of them, outside of their hometown, but they all were from the same town, and the first pastor said, I got to tell you guys something. You know, our denomination doesn't allow gambling, and, and every now and then I like to sneak away and hit the slot machines, and, and I just want you guys to hold me accountable to that, and so they talked. The next guy said, you know what? We're not allowed in our denomination. They, they do not allow any consumption of alcohol, total abstention. You can't even have a sip of wine. You're not allowed to do it. The next guy, the next pastor said, man, I, I'm not supposed to, but every now and then I find myself with a pipe and I'm on the back porch sneaking a, a pipe or a cigar and I'm not supposed to. Will you guys hold me accountable to that? I mean, they're confessing sins to each other. They come around to the fourth pastor and ask him, well, what do you struggle with? And he said, whew, I struggle with gossip and I cannot wait to get out of here. <laughs> On a serious note, though, I'm wondering how many of you have had a relationship where you've practiced this, where you've confessed sins to someone and it's been used against you. Loving one another means we are safe people. We are safe people, meaning you can share with me. I can share with you. I can confess my sins to you. You can confess your sins to me. And what's sad today in many churches, many churches, this does not exist. I worked with a pastor couple a couple years ago. They flew in from another state and they had been to counselor after counselor after counselor, year after year after year after year, and their marriage was finding no reconciliation, no healing. And as they're meeting with me, I just realized, wow, it doesn't sound like they have any biblical community in their life. And you may ask, what's biblical community? It's everything I just shared with you. Serving one another, it's forgiving one another, 
It's loving each other by not passing judgment on each other, by confessing sins to one another. And I painted this picture of biblical community for this pastor and his wife. And I said, I'm not against counseling. I've been to counseling. Counseling's great. But I don't know if you need more counseling. What I feel that you need is good biblical community. And, And I'll never forget him looking at me. It was the only time that they looked at each other in agreement, and then they looked back at me, and he said, I got I hate to tell you this, but what you're describing is not available at our church. Okay, but Jesus said, This is the identity we have in the church. This love for each other. Why is this love so important? Just as your children are watching you, the world is watching us. Your neighbors and enemies are watching you every single day. They're listening. They're they're trying to figure out how are you processing the election? Not with who won and who lost, but what's your tone? What's your attitude? Did the election stir up hate in you? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you mad? They're watching. Some of your neighbors have been rejected by parents. Some of your neighbors have been rejected by children. Some of your neighbors have been rejected by spouses. Some of your neighbors have been rejected by other Christians. And they're watching. They're watching your marriage. They're watching your life. They're trying to figure it all out. You say, well, who, who is my neighbor? Jesus said this, love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I like to do it with these. Your neighbor is different from you. Uh, they may be difficult. They may be dangerous. They may be a Democrat. <laughs> or a Republican. Your neighbors are young, and old. Your neighbors are Trump supporters and Trump protesters. I feel like we should go there for just a minute. I feel like inauguration week. I'm just looking around and I see it on some of you. <laughs> Don't go there. Oh, we're going there. Your neighbors are Republicans and Democrats. Your neighbors are Christians and Muslims. Your neighbors are citizens and refugees. Your neighbors are citizens and immigrants. And if I can steal a line from a Sunday school song that I grew up with, your neighbors are red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Your neighbors are different. Your neighbors are the same. Your neighbors are young. Your neighbors are old. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And here's here's the point he was making. We must be as concerned for the welfare of our neighbors as we are for ourselves. If you want to talk about doing a whole series, you could do a whole series off this one point right here. I had the opportunity this week to speak at the Canuck Link Year in Branson, Missouri. If you're not familiar with that, it's a gap year program between high school and college and about 55 students in the room, and I get to go in for three days and speak to them about prolonged adolescence, too much privilege, not enough responsibility. And I get to talk to them about how to honor their parents, right, as they stop obeying their parents. It's a very, very tricky period of life right now for young people because I, I, I'm, I'm helping them to come to this major transition in their life where they stop obeying but learn how to honor well. And I talk to them about responsibility, 
I talked to him about responsibility, taking on responsibility for other people, not just yourself. Everyone has their own load to carry, but we all must carry one another's burdens. This is part of loving each other. I said, and part of taking on responsibility for other people is that you're not just consumed with what you're carrying around, that you're looking for other people, you're seeing needs, and you're going after them, and you're meeting them. And it's tough. It's tough because they're like, oh, I can figure out. I can't figure out how I'm going to get to college, get it paid for, and get married. And I remind them all the time, you got to stop drinking caramel macchiatos and buying the next iPhone 8, whatever's coming out. I get them on to Folgers and flip phones. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I said, you know, you've got to start looking beyond yourself. There's three days of it this week. And you can see they're like, yeah, we get it. We just don't know how to do this practically. And they're like, our parents love us. They cared for us. They gave us everything. Now we've got to figure out how are we going to translate the love we were shown into now going and loving other people. So the question I have for you, do you have concern, genuine concern for your neighbor, people who are different from you, people you don't agree with, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is someone who has a very different opinion. And we, we live in this culture that if I say I don't agree with you, somehow that's translated into I hate you. When, when did that happen? When did that new rule kick in? Because I remember, I remember disagreeing with people and saying, guess what? After we have this conversation, we can walk away friends. We live in a culture today that says, if I don't agree with you 100%, I'm going to have to find someone new to like. It's happening in marriages all the time. Let me tell you, your spouse not agreeing with you doesn't mean they don't love you and that this marriage isn't working or that this marriage is over. It means you need to just leave room for differences of opinion. You want a miserable marriage? A miserable marriage is where you're constantly trying to change the thoughts and feelings, actions and words of your spouse. That's a terrible marriage. A great marriage is a husband and a wife both taking 100% personal responsibility for their hearts, what's in their heart, and then loving one another unconditionally. Problem is we haven't been trained to do that. We've been trained to love the people that are most like us. We've been trained to uniformity. We've been trained to, if they look like us, if they talk like us, if they vote like us, those are people we can hang with. And can I tell you, that's not at all the gospel message. <laughs> that doesn't even come close to what Jesus teaches. 30 miles south of Branson, Missouri, where I pastor, you'll see this sign, and every time I drive through Harrison, Arkansas, I see it, and it just, it, it crawls all over me. For White Pride Radio, it's not racist to love your people. Love lives here, picture of a girl holding a puppy. I honestly can't figure out why the girl's holding a puppy. That like, doesn't fit with that sign at all. But I'm, I'm one of those pastors that's gonna speak out against that sign. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Leviticus 19. Jesus came to fulfill the law, yes. When we read the law, though, we still see clearly the heart of God. The heart of God for who we're called to love. In Leviticus 19, it starts in verse 9. I'm going to start in verse 9 with what we call the gleaning laws. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Let leave them for the poor and the foreigner, I am the Lord your God. I love the heart 
of our Heavenly Father in this text because what he's saying is in the middle of busyness and in the middle of your work, now remember, harvest doesn't take place over 12 months. Harvest is a very small window throughout the year. It's a small window that you fit into. And this is a busy time. This is a time where it's racing, racing, racing to get those grapes off the vine. He said, in the middle of all that, here's what I want to do. In the law, it is written that you will remember those who are in need. We read in the Old Testament book of Ruth, this was, she was a, a widow. Her, she, she was a beneficiary of this law in need. God's heart here is, hey, listen, I want to make sure those are taken care of. Now he's going to talk about how Israelites take care of each other. If you keep reading the text, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Now, as we keep reading here, I want you to see how many times we see your people. That's not a, that's not a bad phrase, your people. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. We see where Jesus was quoting from. I am the Lord. Now, if you jump down to verse 33, oh, I love this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. So much application for where we are as a country today. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. And then read verse 34 with me. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you, now we're going to get history here, were foreigners in Egypt. How did you want to be treated? I am the Lord your God. Tying this text in with that sign I just showed you from Harrison, Arkansas. Let's define racism. It is not racist to love your people, but it is racist to love only your people. It is not racist to love your people, but it is racist to love only your people. There's something going on in the church today I can't quite explain it. Now, I come from Branson, Missouri, and patriotism and honoring our veterans, high on the list. If you've been to Branson, you know what I'm talking about. There's something in the church today that's kind of saying patriotism is bad. Let me tell you, my patriotism and my Christianity are not at war with each other. They're not. I, I can, and I'm not to steal Lee Greenwood's song, but I'm proud to be an American, and I can be. I can be proud of, of the citizenship that I have in this nation, and I would say I should be. But let me tell you something. This is, this is very important. I'm not speaking today on policy. I'm not speaking to how you become a citizen of the United States. I'm not speaking about how refugees come in, whether they come in. That is something for our elected officials. But I do want to ask you about your attitude towards them as individuals. Do you have a heart of love for the immigrant, legal or illegal? Do you have a heart for the refugee, 
Not how many are coming in, not how they're getting in and how, how they're going to be taken care of. No, do you have a heart for someone who's different from you and in need? Because I believe a Syrian refugee, a Somalian refugee, they are your neighbor. Immigrants are your neighbors, legal or illegal. And I can see it. I can see it on some of the faces. And I'm going to just, I feel I have a little bit of freedom here because this is Woodland Hills West. So I can say some things that I maybe wouldn't say. There are some of you right now who you can't really think about. You, your heart's closed right now to thinking about loving an immigrant because all you can think about is one word. Wall! That's what you're thinking. Are you going to address the wall? No. I just told you I'm not. We're leaving that for the, Do I have an opinion on it? I sure do. But according to the scripture, legal or illegal, whether they stay or whether they go, how they got here, how long they've been here, what jobs they have, it's for another conversation. The reality is when I meet an immigrant or a refugee or someone of a different nationality than me, I am only to have one reaction towards that person, and that is love. I know where I'm at. I, I do. I, I know the struggle this is. And I had a, a guy come up to me after a service a few months ago and showed me his white pride tattoo. And he said, I've asked the Lord for years to begin helping me to rid my heart of racism towards a people group that I have hated my whole life. And let me remind you, racism is a generational curse. If racism is in your heart, I'm telling you, it was written there by someone you watched and listened to for a long time. He said, Ted, Ted, I, I don't want this anymore, but today when you started talking about immigrants and refugees, I realized, oh my goodness, I no longer, I, I, the Lord's working on me hating this people group over here, but all I've done is, is, is misplace it now to where I'm now not into these people. And I'm telling you something, the cable news network is not a friend to us. I don't care whether you listen to CNN or Fox News, it is draining the life out of you. And you're, I know it's policy, and I know it's politics, and I know it's elections, and I know it's this, and I know it's that, but my, my, my concern is watching too much of that begins to change my heart towards a person. And God's heart is, if I can repeat the text, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. It is not racist to love your people but it is absolutely racist to love only your people. Your neighbor is different from you. Your neighbor doesn't talk like you. Your neighbor doesn't act like you. Your neighbor doesn't vote like you. Your neighbor has a different worldview from you. So what do we do, Ted? Love your neighbor. Go back to show as much concern for their welfare as you show for your own. Jesus doesn't stop there. Just when you thought, okay, this is uncomfortable, we've gone far enough, he doesn't stop. He says, love your enemy. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Seems to be a new rule today. I don't like, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of someone who may be in here. I don't like the new president-elect who's gonna be the president on Friday. I will choose to hate him. He can't. You can't. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, but there's a group of people over here that it's okay to hate. Now, I remember, I, I didn't know if I was gonna share this story, but I guess here we go. <laughs> I remember in the late 90s going to Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, and Pastor Bill Hybels, after lunch, was gonna be interviewing President Bill Clinton. 
And he, once this was discovered, woo, the emails and the letters and the, wow, the anger coming out, people leaving the Willow Creek Association, people saying, I have no qualms, I have no problem telling you how much I hate that man. And this is some of the best leadership I've ever seen in the church. Bill Hybel stepped forward, a little bit of a lower lip quiver, and I think you're really speaking truth when your lower lip starts to quiver. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're lower, I think the, the Holy Spirit is in the lower lip. That's kind of what I kind of feel. And Bill Hybels is constantly quivering with that lower lip. And he comes out, thousands. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, through simulcast, could be 30, 40,000. I have no idea how many thousands of evangelical church leaders are watching this. And he said, we're going to take about a two-and-a-half-hour break so the dogs can come in and, uh, you know, sweep the place and make sure there's no bombs or anything. And they, it usually only takes an hour, but since we're a gathering of uh, evangelical leaders, they need more time. Uh, <laughs> I made that part up. He didn't say that part right there. But he said, when Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton walks out on this stage, you will stand up and you will applaud him and you will show him the respect his office deserves. And I remember, I, I think I was 20, what was I, I, I hate doing math, I was 24. And I will never forget President Bill Clinton. Now remember, I grew up in a very conservative Ronald Reagan home. Okay, let's just put it that way. When President Bill Clinton walked out on stage, I think 24-year-old associate pastor Ted Cunningham was the first to jump up out of his seat because I was told to. And I think we need that talk again. I don't think it was just for one president. I think it's for all. I think we, we all need a good primer of Romans 13 on how to respect the king. Because some of you were, you, were, you were so into the first 30 minutes of this message. Last 10 minutes, nah, not so much. <laughs> You've heard it said, love your neighbor. I'll paraphrase here. But you can have a list of people that you dislike, people you don't show honor towards, people that you don't love. Just put them over there. Words of your Savior, Jesus Christ. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know what President-elect Donald Trump needs from you right now? He needs prayer. I'm praying for him every day. And if I can say this, because I just, I always love to say this so you can email Alex later. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I am praying that he learns to bridle his tongue. I'm praying that. I'm praying that people will surround him and teach him, like, I don't, I don't want to know that we've just launched weapons at another country from a tweet. I don't think, I, maybe that's appropriate, but I, maybe it's not. Okay, that one, I won't share that. We're going to put the second service online, and I'm going to leave that last little part out. That was just for 9 o'clock, all right? That was just a 9 o'clock little deal. And I always love share like this because some of you are going, I don't know if he's Democrat or Republican. <laughs> he says he grew up in a Reagan home, but I don't know. This last little bit, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to find out. that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I love verses 46 through 48 because here's what we're gonna learn. There's no skill in loving easy to love people. Easy to love people, there's no skill required in that. Greeting, easy to greet people, there's no skill in that. I worked with these millennials all week and I said, listen, when I come into a store, there's a donut shop in our area that I come into and it's run by millennials, and when I walk up to the counter, I get this. <laughs> it probably doesn't shock you, I go to a donut shop a lot. But anyway, I'm, he's like this, 
And I'm like, I remind him of the Proverbs, bright eyes, gladden the heart. So it's hard to greet that, but I walk in, ha, right there. There's more skill in greeting someone. How do I help you? All right, I didn't even, are you a ventriloquist? I didn't even see your lips move. Jesus says this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? In other words, no skill in that. Are not even the tax collectors doing that, a hated group at the time? And even if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? There is great skill required. There's great capacity needed to love your enemy, to love people who don't think like you, to love people who don't look like you. And I'm praying that your children will begin seeing this in your home because you have much to say about the love coming from the next generation. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I like how that ends, because why? He is our source. Where do you get love? This is what big, couple mis- big, big couples mistake. It's I will love him when. Well, see, you're looking to him to be your source. He's not your source. When she starts doing this and stops saying that, then, I, okay, but she's not your source. You're not, you're not looking to her to bring you what you need to give her. Well, when this happens, then I, no, 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 no. Jesus is your source of life. Your Father in heaven is perfect. And, and we just saw it on the, on the video. God is love. We, in, in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. Our ability to love different people, our ability to love people who don't look like us or think like us, our ability to love people who we think are dangerous doesn't come from them. It comes from your heavenly Father. He is the one that fills you with life, fills you with love, fills you with forgiveness, fills you with service, fills you with hospitality so that you have something to pour in to other people. And with that, I'm gonna ask every parent and grandparent to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Every single in the room, I'm just, as, as we, I'm gonna just take a moment because I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to call you by name. to those struggling with racism, and you know it. You, you know what you heard over and over and over and over and over again as a child, and it's found its way into your heart. You know what you saw. You picked up on the attitude, even if the words weren't spoken, and it's found its way into your heart. And maybe it wasn't apparent. Maybe it's the media today. Maybe you're listening to one particular individual who just keeps pouring this out. And, and it's not for the purpose of giving you hate, but you're finding hate developing in your heart. This is a moment for you, between you and the Lord, just clear that out. Seek your heavenly Father. He is perfect. He is the source of all life and all love and all forgiveness and all hospitality and all compassion. If you've never placed faith in Jesus, you may make the mistake today of thinking, okay, I'm just gonna leave here trying harder. You may leave here with an, a point or two that you may say, I'm not gonna watch as much news or I'm gonna uh, greet this individual at work tomorrow in a different way. We, <laughs> please, this church is not passionate about behavior modification. This church is passionate about life change that only Jesus brings in the heart. Don't leave here just modifying your behavior. Leave here with a changed heart. And if you've never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day 
You believe in and trust in the name of Jesus Christ through the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the blood of Jesus. You confess your sins before him. You ask him to fill you, that your life would now just be overflow, going to all of the people who don't think like you, all of the people who don't look like you, all of the people who don't talk like you. And you would have a love for them that is only explained through the name of Jesus. Father, I'm grateful for this day. I'm grateful for the opportunity we have to think about the way we were parented, to think about the way we are parenting, to think about the love we are passing on. I, pr I pray we raise a generation of young men and young women who passionately, passionately, and with reckless abandon show love to the world. It starts with us right here that this church would be known and identified and talked about all over town and all around the world as a church that loves one another, that forgives one another, that serves one another, that shows hospitality to one another, that as the world watches, as their enemies and, and neighbors watch, they would say, what, what do they have? What I see in them is what I want in me. So I pray that blessing over the church. We are grateful for the new command that you have given us to love one another as you modeled it for us and you have given it to us as our identity. And it's in the name of Jesus that everyone agreed with Ted and said, amen. amen. Thank you, church.